What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's Ja Raffs, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how are you doing? Dare I say we saved maybe not the best, but the most interesting for last in terms of conversation? I disagree. You disagree? Yes. I don't think that's... What, from, from what perspective? There were just a lot of teams I'm I'm not sure about in the SEC. As in, they could be really, really good, there but are, also there are some questions. There are exactly three teams I'm confident of being really, really good in this conference. Exactly three. The rest <laughs> exactly. I don't care. The exact the rest I don't care about. Okay, so you're not quite as intrigued as I am. That's all right. I, I just. I mean, because I guess you could also argue it's the Big Ten because, well, we don't know if anybody's going to be all that good. You know, that was a very interesting conversation we had. I I was just going, just sort of preparing for this, going team by team, going, I mean, not necessarily the bottom half of the conference, but, well, geez, they're at least interesting. Sure. There are just three teams that don't have the same problems that they have every year. That's how I feel about it. Okay. Like Alabama is going to have the same problems they do every year. Because Javon Quinley is still the point guard, and I still have thing I still have shortcomings about. You know, my most interesting team I'm interested by, but they're going to have the exact same problems they did last year. I guess that's how I'll, that's how I put it. But um, SEC this week, um, last week of the conferences, and then we'll get into some national predictions because we find that fun. And, and we get to is, look back at ourselves and laugh when we're right. wrong, like we are every year. And what is a college basketball beat writer, podcast, show, any kind of medium without predictions? Sure. It's just a staple. Did you see that the AP All-American team came out yesterday? Yes, I did not look closely at it. I saw it existed. It's a bunch of bigs and Marcus Sasser. It's Baycott... Baycott, Timmy, Shibway, and Trace Jackson Davis all made the AP first team All America preseason. I, mean, I I mean I think that's the correct answer. I'm yeah. just surprised they put four of them on there. Yeah, see that gets into a real long philosophical discussion about what all America teams are supposed to be. Right, exactly. exactly. If you're trying to get the five best players in the country, you're probably pretty close there. Mm-hmm. You well can't, you can't really poke any holes in it individually. No. Um, and of, you know, we talk over and over, you know, and those four guys aren't exactly the models of positionless basketball, but <laughs> right. we, but on one side of the aisle, we're stressing, you know, the guy who can guard all five positions is the guy everybody wants, but then we create our, and I have the same issue with first team all NBA, um, that if we're preaching positionless basketball, then why are we, and praising, I guess, praising positionless basketball, then why do we put our first team all NBA in a box? Like just. But the end, the other thing, it's the same way I feel about the Major League Baseball guys that aren't in the Hall of Fame. It's like the All-NBA is supposed to paint the picture of the best players of the, of the season. I don't especially care if it's the best point guard of the season. I want the five best players. Mm-hmm. Just It's supposed to paint a picture of that year, just like the Hall of Fame is a museum and nothing else. So put Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame because you can't learn, and Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa, because you can't learn about Major League Baseball Without without learning about Pete Rose and about the steroids era. So just put him in there. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could argue then the solution to that is to just remove positions from the team. That's fine. I mean, I don't care what the solution is. Right. I just, just who, who... I, I, gen- I generally agree with you. It's just, the other part of it is this is an incredible exception Right, it's not like this is a conversation we're having every single season about. Well, do we need to change our approach because we got four bigs who might be the best player in college basketball by the time the season is all sure. said and done? And that's not you know mentioning Zach Eady for example. Right, it's a strange confluence of circumstances that led to this. But yeah, I, I'm generally with you. I I just don't care enough to get worked up about it. I would rather have the five best players. And that's pretty close, like I said before. Mm-hmm. I would it's agree. also a preseason list that we need to just, you know, take as a preseason list and actually focus on then what happens. But 
Which is also not how it works right. because those five guys are now because AP voters don't like to be wrong. So if there's any way they can put all five of those guys on the first team All America at the end of the year, they're going to do it. Um, SEC preview. Uh, we'll, we're chatting with somebody uh, who covers Arkansas at the end of the week, and uh, we'll tell you who that is at the end of the podcast. But um, five categories. If you're new here, most exciting, most intriguing storylines, NCAA tournament teams. And a winner. Let's start where we always do with the most exciting team. Josh, who's your most exciting team? The must bus. The must bus. All aboard. The talent acquisition is stunning. To put this in perspective, I was looking at their 247 sports recruiting page. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They have three of the top five recruits in the history of Arkansas men's basketball coming into the program this season. Mm -hmm. The two players also in the top five are Al Jefferson and Bobby Portis. That is the kind of five-star talent that is coming in to this program. Right. Plus the other five solid players in the transfer portal. It is incredible how much talent Eric Musselman now has at his disposal. Mm -hmm. And Devo Davis is your lone return of significance, which is why this was allowed to happen this way, where you can get you know Nick Smith plus everybody else plus all of these transfers who are also going to contribute to your team, and all of a sudden, they are phenomenal on paper. My one concern, and I'm sure we'll get to Arkansas a little bit more as we get into this podcast. I mean, they're my most exciting team, too, so whatever you've got, just throw it out now. You don't really have a placement for Jalen Williams and the things he gave you from an interior presence standpoint. Mm -hmm. I am... Concerned that is going to become a major issue when we're talking about can Arkansas become a national title contender. But that's the conversation we're having. Is Arkansas a national title contender? Right. Therefore, that makes them one of the most exciting teams in the country. And you just don't see all of these kind of new pieces at this level. Now, of course, Eric Musselman has made a living out of the transfer portal. It's not like he's new to getting players acclimated into a program once they've already played somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But... Do you remember some ever some having something quite like this where it's just proven college basketball players plus all these five-star recruits all coming in one spot where there are all these open roster spots and you don't I mean you have very little coming back and here you go they might be the best team in the SEC. I mean the closest is last year's Texas. Yeah, but you didn't have I mean you had a you had some recruiting I would argue this is on a whole other level, though. But that's a pretty good comparison. But the same, but the same issue. Is, yes. I mean, there are. Right. I mean, by definition, nobody transfers somewhere that they're not going to play. And there are five guys on this roster coming off the bench who averaged ten points or more in college last year. Mm-hmm. And there are three freshmen who have never played college basketball before, and are used to being the best player on every single right. team they've ever played for. Right. Yeah. This is. This is. And and we can have a conversation about Musselman being better at this than Chris Beard, but the the question for Arkansas here is the same question for Texas. Are there too many cooks in the kitchen? Mm-hmm. Are there too many mouths to feed and not enough food? Because there are five guys, and you know, there specifically because right the five star freshmen are you know Musselman would be fired if he didn't play his three five-star freshmen because then five-star freshmen would stop coming to Arkansas because they say, yeah, I get there and I don't get to play. But there are a lot of transfers on the back end of this roster. Like, there are productive guys that are going to be guys 8, 9, and 10 in in the rotation. And on one side of things, that, that kind of depth is awesome to have. On the other side of things, does that create tension in the locker room? Is is there too many pieces to a puzzle that at some point should just not get any more complex than it needs to be? Um, because you're right, the talent is incredibly deep, but there's also there, there's nobody proven, mm-hmm. right? And I'm I and I, I guess that's a I guess that's a good thing. I don't I don't know because at least you don't have any allegiance to anybody except the one guy who's coming back that it was especially productive but on the other side of things you don't really have a place to jump off from i have all the faith in eric musselman that this is just like you're right this is pretty 
pretty unprecedented for a team that is supposed to be one of the five best teams in the country, at least in preseason. And it's it's not like this is Duke, right? Where, okay, by you know Kentucky, for example, right? Cal has gotten more into the transfer portal, so he's adding a piece, a key piece or two, usually, mm-hmm. plus some high-profile freshmen. We'll get to theirs coming in this season in a minute. But this is. You know, just sort of all of a sudden it went from, wow, look at Eric Musselman just getting the most out of these players and kind of consistently elevating Arkansas to look at this roster. Mm. <laughs> it's it's incredible. And like you said, yeah, maybe it's a good thing that, right, there are in theory no promises made to anybody because they were sort of made to everybody, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, that there is no... Right, no allegiances to guys who have done this really. You know, Devo Davis is going to play a, a big role, obviously. But other than that, you get to sort of turn this into whatever it ends up being. It also might just take a while to figure out what is actually the best version of this roster, mm-hmm. because you're going to want to try so many different variations to give all of these guys an opportunity. Because either you have really high expectations and believe in them, the five star recruits, or they've proven they can really be contributing members to good college basketball teams. Mm -hmm. So we might, I don't think this is going to be one of those. It's kind of smooth sailing from beginning to end. I see this more of a, we might be disappointed by Arkansas at times. The question is going back to Texas last season. Do we ever feel like they figure it out? Right. And we've been disappointed by Arkansas the last two years in a row Mm -hmm. early in the season. Yep. So them being good early in the year would actually be Unique compared to the the first <laughs> a, to, a, to the last yes, couple of years. A warning sign for the rest of the country if this right. is clicking immediately. Yeah, right. In mm-hmm. theory, in theory, a warning yeah. sign. I mean, I think there's a very real argument that them not having it figured out is also a warning sign since they've gone to back to back elite eights. So right. maybe that means that they're going to a final four if they have it figured out immediately. But I mean, right when we're talking specifics, it's Nick Smith Jr. who is. Probably third on a lot, you know, is third on a lot of lists behind Scoot and Wimbanyama when it comes to the 2023 draft. This team is going to be really like they're going to be big. Like Scoot is six four and the smallest guy on in the starting lineup, which is there's just going to be lots of arms and legs everywhere. Anthony Black and Jordan Walsh are both like six seven yep. guys that are, you know, there's going to be talking about positionless basketball. Um, they both, like Anthony Black, I've seen described in multiple places as kind of a, a point guard and a six seven body that does some other things as well. And then Jordan Walsh is hopefully going to be the guy who defends the best player on the other team. The super right, the super athlete. Yep. Right. Um, who can also shoot. And typically those guys coming into <laughs> college aren't great shooters, yeah. but this guy is one of them that, that is. And uh, so those are the three five-star freshmen. And based on the... You know, they've been, we've started to see scrimmages and exhibition games, and all three of those guys started in the exhibition game that Arkansas played earlier this week. Um, this last weekend, something in the last few days. Um, today is the 25th of October. Um, and then you've got the two guys coming back, right? We talked about Devo Davis, um, and then Trevon Brazil, who is a transfer from Missouri, who it takes about seven seconds of watching his highlight reel to be intrigued by him because he's long, he's athletic, and should be a pretty versatile big like for a team that is going to have a lot of like nobody's going to feel undersized in the starting lineup based on their position to have a guy like that that is versatile long athletic is a is a pretty good fit there yeah it this is a whole nother challenge for eric musselman but he's met every challenge before mm-hmm. so it's i'm just always fascinated when a new coach goes all in on something like this and kind of the roster turnover Mm -hmm. because we're having this conversation with Chris Beard, right? To sort of finish by pulling this back to Texas of can he actually do this? Or is he just one of those coaches who is much better when he can build a program year after year and keep guys around like he did at Texas Tech and then add, you know, a piece or two from the portal, a piece or two where you get the unexpected development from year one to year two or a a contributor right away that's a three-star recruit, something Mm -hmm. like that getting the most out of your team as opposed to collecting all of this talent and then maximizing it. Musselman's been very much on the maximizing the talent at your disposal. Now it's, can you actually turn all of these incredible players into what they should be on paper? Mm-hmm. And 
that's just not a question he's really had to answer before because Arkansas was not in that position when they hired him. And to his credit, he has gotten Arkansas in a position where now this is a thing that is possible. Right. And and the last thing I'll add is that there are expectations yes. this year in a way that there haven't been. Right. Two years ago, it was, Arkansas is pretty good. And then last year it was, okay, they've got, right, we had a freshman that was that hit immediately. Um you go back to the Elite Eight, but I think we can agree that this is the first year. And they still, they still, depending on who you're talking to, aren't the favorite in the SEC. That you know, but there are people who think Arkansas is the favorite mm-hmm. in the SEC, and that level of expectation. If you're going to win the SEC, you're also probably in consideration for a Final Four appearance, and that that's a different level of expectation, which yep. is the and and I'm and I'm not too high on the whole expectations for teams for the first time mean that they're going to fall short. Um, I just think most teams that have lofty expectations fall short because by definition, there's only a very, there's a very finite amount of teams that can achieve that goal. Um, I just think it's the nature of high expectations to underachieve, right? Because it's really hard to overachieve. Um, But uh, the, the definition of success for Arkansas to be as cliche as possible, the definition of success for Arkansas is going to is just different this year. And they are not. Maybe you could argue they weren't last year either, but they are certainly not sneaking up on anybody in the NCAA tournament. Yes, they will. Eric Musselman cannot sort of play the underdog card anymore, mm-hmm. unless something goes terribly wrong. Right. <laughs> because this is an incredible group of players, like we've said for sure. Most intriguing. I want Auburn. Okay. Your backcourt is very much intact. Wendell Green, KD Johnson, Alan Flanagan, Zepp Jasper. Of course, the big question here is replacing the best front court in, you know, college basketball. No big deal. No big deal. But Bruce Pearl is gonna do so with Johnny Broom and a five star recruit named Johan Traore. So it's not like there's it's just automatically going to be a big area of weakness for this Auburn team. Mm-hmm. There are the pieces to be very good in the front court again. So that's my first question mm-hmm. is what do these guys that are coming into the program actually deliver? And we were asking the same thing about Walker Kessler last season, right? Sure. It's not like Walker Kessler was a dominant interior force and one of the best bigs in college basketball when he left North Carolina. Right. It was more of a, you clearly see he's got some ability and he can be a difference maker if he gets into the right situation and he was playing in a system that maybe didn't suit him at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And he was playing with all these other guys, so he didn't really get to be the guy in the in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he gets to Auburn and you go, oh, this is working incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Look at him. He's a first-round NBA draft pick. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Bruce Pearl has no experience sort of getting the most out of these guys and over and even exceeding expectations with the talent at his disposal, particularly in the interior. And also, you know, Jabari Smith turned out brilliantly, even with all of the hype surrounding him. Mm-hmm. The other thing, though, that I'm even more intrigued about, specifically because the backcourt is coming back. That to, was, that, that, that's the thing I'm waiting to say. Can they score in the half court? Can they make good decisions with the <laughs> basketball? They were brilliant at times last season. Other times, they were kind of mind-bogglingly frustrating. Are you talking and, about the guards in particular? Or yes. Okay. Well, the, brilliant overall. Okay. And more, yeah, there were some issues with decision-making be, at the guard position. Because they were exclusively awesome when the guards got out of their own way. Not when right, the guards right. played well. When the guards realized they weren't the best players on right. the team. And you let what, you played from the sort of inside out right. and let Jabari Smith and, and what... Right. 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 Yes. So maybe, like, to put these things together, maybe you don't have the ability to do that this season and Triore and... Johnny Broom don't exactly become those players mm-hmm. or anything close because, again, hard to live up to what those two guys were last season. So does that put more pressure on your backcourt? Can your backcourt handle that? Mm. How does this kind of all come together? That is the intriguing thing for me because it is some new pieces. So, right, it's one part getting replaced, one part coming back. And I'm just always fascinated, fascinated by teams like this because you just sometimes don't really know what you're getting game in and game out. Here's why I have a very real ceiling for Auburn that I have very little faith in. 
you got two poor decision-making guards that shoot a combined 30% from the three-point line. And so they don't shoot it well. I mean, they they have massive decision-making issues. And they had, the as you said, the best front court in college basketball and one of the three best players in the sport last year and still couldn't get out of his way, right? I mean, it was still the Wendell Green and Katie Johnson show at times. I am... And, and maybe you're right. Maybe the heightened sense of responsibility ends up being a good thing, or or maybe it doesn't. And this team just becomes, well, when Wendell Green and Katie Johnson have good games, they look pretty good. When they make you scratch your head like they did at times last year, there's nobody even kind of close to what Jabari Smith was last year to try and bail you out, and they end up not beating anybody good. Mm-hmm. Um, right, because... If Auburn's going to get to where Auburn can get this season, either these guys are going to get exceptionally better in the backcourt, or you're going to need something closer to what you had last season. Right? It, it's not like you're bringing the backcourt back, and that is what Houston has in Marcus Sasser, mm-hmm. where you go, that's the foundation of a Final Four team. Mm-hmm. The foundation of the Final Four team, theoretically, is still coming from the interior. That's what made them so good last season. So... And yeah. even when we got late in the, in the year, it was pretty clear that Auburn wasn't quite as good as we thought they were. Right. That and, was the other part of it. Yep. And so the, the the raising of the floor and the and, and the raising of the ceiling comes back to right, it's 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 questions about Caleb Love times two because there's two of them. And the ceiling of the sovereign team, right, and of course we can right the the freshmen, right, there are two freshmen projected to start along with Johnny Broom. Um I mean, those guys have to be good too, of course, right? I mean, not to gloss over that, but when it comes to, I mean, those guys are going to have the ball in their hands so much this year um, that it's going to be really, really important that they take a step forward and learn how to get out of their own way at some times. And can you be as good in transition as you were last season as well? That was part of what made them so difficult to deal with, right? Is you had, you know, Walker Kessler was blocking shots and Jabari Smith was getting up and down the court. Mm-hmm. You could put him in all kinds of different mismatches because you really couldn't guard him. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff has potentially gone away. I'm, I'm just fascinated to see kind of, because Bruce Pearl always seems to get the most out of his teams and overachieve a little bit. You could argue even he did that last season with where they were at one point. Mm-hmm. This is a different kind of challenge, though, because you don't have a Jabari Smith. Right. My most intriguing team is Texas A&M. Okay. Here's what Buzz Williams' team did last year. They did all of these things last year. <laughs> okay, you ready? I'm excited. They won 15 of their first 17 games. They started SEC play 4-0. They were winless from January 15th to February 15th. They won their last four games of the regular season, went to the SEC tournament final game, lost, ended up in the NIT, went to the NIT final. Yep. All in the same season. I mean, if they just win one game in that month, they probably make the NCAA tournament. They bring three of their top four scorers back. Yes, Quentin Jackson is gone, which is not insignificant. 13-ish points, 12 and a half, something 12, like 8, yeah. something like that. But a highly productive college basketball player. He is not coming back. Wade Taylor the fourth, Tyrese Radford, and Henry Coleman the third are all are returning uh, as the other three of the top four scorers on the roster. I'm not sure they actually fit, and this is why, and this is what I said at the beginning of the podcast, Texas A&M is kind of the crown jewel of of this idea of, like, there are a lot of teams here that I'm just not sure they fixed anything that they needed to fix last year. Like, I don't really care how good anybody else on Auburn's team is, as if they, like, I need to see that those two guards fixed what the issues were Mm -hmm. last year to really care about their ceiling. Sure. Um... And Texas A&M probably should have been a tournament team last year, right? This was like a top 35 Kempom team that didn't make the tournament because they had these really awkward stretches. and But at times were productive and won a lot of basketball games. And like, like I just told you that they bookend their SEC play with four straight wins on either side yep. of conference play, won 15 to 17 games to start the season, and went to the SEC tournament final, still and they didn't still it. didn't make the tournament. Yeah. They they were, right? I mean, like, that is really, really hard to do when you actually put it all together. And they didn't make the tournament. Um, right, Quentin Jackson is not back, like I said. Um, there still, still doesn't seem to be a great three-point shooter on this team. 
there aren't a ton of guys who are shooting in the you know mid to upper 30s range as it is, but nobody that jumps off the page in terms of like, yep, that's the guy who's gonna I can count on to knock down four threes a game. Um, and, and that's a lot of threes per game, but you get my point. Um, and their defensive rebounding was absolutely atrocious. And once again, there's nobody on this team that's over the that's over six nine. Um, so, I mean, are they just gonna give up? Are they just gonna be the fourth to worst? offensive rebounding team in the country when it comes to finishing possessions on the defensive end and giving up offensive rebounds. Um, I just don't know. But with that being said, it was probably an SEC. It was a tournament team last year for most of the season. It should be a tournament team this year. I, but it could look very similar. Like there aren't a ton of new of, of pieces that, completely changed the dynamic of this team. Right. This is very much one of those, well, look, they did some really good things last season. They were close. They got a bunch of guys back. So, you know, just that year-over-year improvement, in theory, puts them in the NCAA tournament this season. There's always a couple of those teams in, you know, in a team or two in every high major conference that's like that. Right. This is the SEC version. Mm-hmm. And you do add some high major transfers. Now, none of them have particularly sparkling resumes, mm-hmm. like you said. You don't look at that list and go, "These are di- this is we got a difference maker in here that's going to elevate our ceiling." Right. The ceiling is how much better can your best players from last season that are coming back get? Right. And do you get? Can you sort of get a little bit more out of one of these transfers coming in who should have little trouble adjusting to the SEC because most of these guys are used to playing at that kind of level? Mm-hmm. That's really the only thing I have to. To add, because you're absolutely right. It's easy to look at and go, you know, Buzz Williams as a coach, what you have returning, you at least have some pieces that you could hope to get a little bit more out of, you know, turn the roster over a little bit at the bottom. Mm-hmm. With those guys, you know, form the foundation of what could be an NCAA tournament team. It looks really good in Texas A&M, just gets better and better. Mm-hmm. Also, that was a really bizarre season they just had and leave some questions as you wait out. You, you said it all. I don't have too much to add. All right. Storylines. Where do you want to start? Okay. What? You just sounded, you felt burdened well, by that. Well, first, there's one that is the, the core, but I'm going to save that one for, I'm going to save that one for the end, I think. Okay. You might actually beat me to it. Okay. We'll see. My first one, though, let's talk about these new coaches. Mm. I mean, all over the place in this conference. And what's interesting to me about this is some of them in pretty good positions, some of them not so much. When you start talking about, you know, Todd Golden went to work mm-hmm. in the transfer portal. Yep. Kyle Lofton, Will Richard, Alex Fudge, Trey Bowman from VMI, plus Colin Castleton, Marion Jones, Kaliasi Reeves. I have some questions about Florida that I'm sure we'll get to at some point this season. You're asking for a lot of players to make jumps. Mm-hmm. But Todd Golden has a very good foundation immediately to build on. Then you're looking at some of these other teams. Okay, I mean, Chris Jans also, pretty good group of transfers. You lost Iverson Molinar and Garrison Brooks, but most of the rest of your team is back. There is a foundation for him at Mississippi State. Mm -hmm. And then there are the teams not in such a great situation. Uh, Mike White at Georgia. Mm -hmm. Three of your best four players are back. That's... Something now, the team they're returning from three twenty three and twenty eight. Yeah. But you know now ninety third in Ken Palm to start the season. I thought that was interesting. I, I That's incorrect. I don't know what okay. to make of that. That's but incorrect. But okay, Dennis Gates. You got a couple solid transfers, primarily Isaiah Mosley from Missouri State. Mm-hmm. Lamont Paris, not much to work with other than Gigi Jackson, who is just going to be at South Carolina as this top ten recruit that it was easy to forget about. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's LSU. <laughs> and, you know, could be much worse, but also you're rebuilding your entire team. You can't tell me that you look at that roster and don't think it's one of the six most talented in the SEC. You can't. Somewhere, somewhere in there, six or seven, yeah. That is a, that is a roster that if, it had, that, if, it's, that, if, the, if that roster had played together a year before, it would be a tournament team, and nobody would be disputing it. But because of the circumstances, which is completely fair... Um, it's not considered a tournament team, right? That's considered the the peak of success for Matt McMahon in his first year is 
does he actually get them to work together immediately? And they, because that roster, I won't be told otherwise, is a roster capable of making the tournament, yeah. especially if the situation was a little different. And you've got a coach who's done a very good job. Right. Right. It's not like he is a, it's just he hasn't done it at this level before right. because he's never had the opportunity. So I'm just fascinated by, first of all, you don't see this kind of just wide-sweeping coaching changes within a conference. Mm-hmm. But second, they are all in different positions where some of these guys come in with some expectations, specifically Todd Golden. Mm-hmm. Some of these guys have some pieces to work with, and if they're going to get off to a good start in their coaching careers, may surprise, or not their coaching careers, they're, you know, this is job, mm-hmm. that means they're going to have a pretty good season. Because there's some stuff to work with. And then there are the ones that are just sort of starting from scratch. Relative to, and whether you want to say that's actually an accurate description of LSU or not, mm-hmm. that's a rebuilding effort because of the reality of the roster situation. Right. And then you've got, you know, the, the programs that made coaching changes because it wasn't going so well. Mm-hmm. So I'm just very interested in... Usually it's sort of one or the other, or the Big East this year was basically all of these incredible hires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got a little bit of everything in the SEC. Uh, over under 1.5 new coaches make the tournament out of the SEC. Ooh, 1.5. Over. Over. Along, who's, who along with Todd Golden is making the tournament? I don't want, I don't want to spoil my NCAA tournament teams. I will say I feel like between LSU and Mississippi State, I feel pretty good. I feel better about one than the other. I won't reveal that part yet. Mm-hmm. I will between those two teams. I will take the over and say one of them finds a way to get in. Well, I have two. I have three total teams on my NCAA tournament teams that could make the NCAA tournament. So I'm I um, I would go over as well. But I think right Todd Golden. I think things right Florida has the roster. And kind of the expectations of, of going to the tournament. I think everybody else is in a slightly different spot, mm-hmm. as you Definitely. would say, yep. as you have pointed out. But I would also go over for what it's worth. I just think that's an interesting question because you're right. There are some guys who are just have no chance whatsoever making the tournament. But uh, there are a few teams that made that list that are in the first year of their head coach. Um I got a lot of team-based storylines in this conference. I think the big one is... Who you know the coaches and when it comes to the conference as a whole, I have a lot of team-based storylines, especially around the top of the conference. Um, this we, is I think this is going to be basically my big storyline. We as well. we talked about we talked about Arkansas. I mean, usually the team that we're talking about, man, they are relying a lot on five-star freshmen. Is Kentucky and Arkansas gets that honor this year? Yep. Now I'll get to Kentucky in a second because I got questions about the guys about around Oscar Sheboy as well, but. When it comes to Arkansas, that is the team that's like, yeah, that team could contend for a national title as long as Nick Smith Jr. and company are are good. Which, and that's not to... I, I will approach those freshmen the same way that I approach Calipari's freshmen. Do I believe that they can be good, at least on most occasions? Yes. Um, but it is a matter of those are three guys that have not played college basketball yet. That will be three of the four, three of the five, um, if not three, if not the three most important players on that roster. Um, and they're in the other thing with Arkansas is that the other two teams that I'm considering in this, um, that I'm considering in this kind of top tier of the conference, that's kind of my other storyline here. Um, that's the team that is relying on guys that aren't returning to the program the most. And both Kentucky and Tennessee do have guys that are going to be important that weren't on the team last year, mm-hmm. but the most important guys on Kentucky and Tennessee played for Kentucky and Tennessee last year. Yep. And that's not the case for Arkansas. Um so I can stop there. I can keep going. Do you want me to just keep going? Yeah, can, you can keep going. And if you don't um, cover the ones I want to talk about, I'll okay. throw them in after. All right. Um, so that's my thing with 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 Arkansas. And the whole storyline is here is how big is the first tier? Okay. Is it just Kentucky? Is it Kentucky and Arkansas? Are all three teams there? There's one of just Kentucky, uncertain, like surprisingly drop off for some reason. I wouldn't expect that to be the case. But how big is 
how big is that first tier? Is it all three of these teams? Is it a three-team race to, to win the regular season title? Does one team kind of step away? Um, with Kentucky, it's, it's, is the group around Oscar Shibway good enough to, to be elite? Um, Shibway is, right, the most dominant force in college basketball. He was last year. He'll be that again this year. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know what it is. I really don't. And maybe it's because I'm a little bit of a severe Wheeler hater, a little bit, just because I have my reservations about five nine guards being the most important part of your backcourt, especially when it comes to the defensive end. He's a highly productive, really good college point guard. That's indisputable. I just have my reservations on undersized guards. Um, and we can have the same conversation about Tennessee because they're also starting a five nine guy at point guard. Um Case and Wallace and Sevilla Wheeler in the backcourts. If if Wallace is good, I, I think the two guys complement each other really well because I think right, Case and Wallace in theory is gonna be good defensively immediately. He's a combo guard, he'll fit nicely next to Sevilla Wheeler. Um and and hopefully can can at least and maybe unlock or maybe even lock the some of the, the things we're trying to hide about Sevilla Wheeler on the other side of the floor. Um, I, I I can't decide how like Jacob Toppin is. With all due respect to Jacob Toppin, Jacob Toppin is uninspiring. He's just a a fine college basketball player, and maybe that's a little disrespectful to Jacob Toppin. But I just like without Keon Brooks, like that guy is going to have to be really important to a team that's supposed to be a national title contender. And I just I have some reservations. All of this to say, I mean, there's a there's multiple All SEC guys coming back on this roster. You have five star freshmen and then some depth off the bench, and I don't know why, but I'm just am uninspired by Kentucky's roster. I don't know why. This is my yeah. I'm not really sure why either. This is my thing this year. <laughs> I mean, this looks exactly like this the rosters that we've seen from Kentucky over and over again the last few years. And when was the last time we were completely inspired by Kentucky? I was inspired at points last season. I will say that. By, maybe maybe by a little the, bit too much. By the end of the tournament, by... No, no, it was earlier than that. Okay. They had that stretch before Ty Ty Washington got hurt. Mm. Where I was... I was inspired. <laughs> but by the end of... By the end of the season, it was more of, well... I feel like they were kind of the same category as Purdue. Well, if it all just kind of randomly comes together, sure they can win the national championship. Do I see that happening? No, not really. To your I, point, I don't. I don't know what it is about Kentucky, and maybe it's just because, like, by like the most exciting thing about Kentucky last year was that they had the best player in the country, mm-hmm. and they didn't get a spe- the, and they still lost St. Peter's in the first yeah. round of the NCAA tournament. Can I throw out a theory? Sure. And, well, maybe this changes this season. And I think that was part of the Ty Ty Washington conversation. You don't have, at least at this moment in time, you don't know you are going to have the difference maker guard who can be the best player on the floor when it matters. Mm. I mean, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, and and, and I, I've decided, and this is part of the reason why I'm really excited about Illinois this year, is because one-dimensional bigs, no matter how big of a f- dominant force they are in the interior, make your team one-dimensional. They just do. Um, and it's not. And Shibway is a fine defender, but it's not like Shibway is giving you an incredible interior she, presence like Walker Kessler did, where that is just a force at the rim as well. And, and he's just so massive yes. and dominant that he's. It's impossible for him to not be at least a right. above-average defender. Right. Right. But. Like, that's the National Player of the Year coming back. He's the most important player on the team. I, I, I like, I will not be stunned if Illinois if from a, for, is just a harder team to play this year, even though they lost Kofi Coburn. Yep. And, and I don't, like, like, I, I, I want this team to get up and down. I want Casey Wallace to run all over the place. I want Chris Livingston to... Because, like, the entire roster is conducive to getting out and running, except the best player on your roster. Right? You get... You, you got Chris Livingston, Casey Wallace, Severe Wheeler, who, you know, makes a lot of really good decisions with the basketball on his hands. He's, like, third in the country in assists, led the SEC. 
you've got you're you're getting flanked by Antonio Reeves and CJ Frederick, you know, on the you know, in the corner on the three-point line and but then there's Shibway. And there's an argument that the best shot down every single time is to give Oscar Shibway the ball 4 feet from the basket. Right. And whoever the poor soul is that's trying to guard him that <laughs> night, give, you know, say good luck, buddy, and see if he can guard him. Yeah. Um now I guess the counter to that would be because you're so versatile with the other four positions, from an from a sort of offensive structure standpoint, that concern is very real. Also, Shibuya is a monster on the boards, so in that sense, he doesn't prevent you. From, right, he is going to be the guy making the outlet pass because he just swallows up rebounds. Sure. So from a getting out in transition standpoint, I could argue he's not that big of an impediment because he's going to be the guy passing the ball to whether it's Wallace or Wheeler or whoever's going to sort of start that transition, Mm -hmm. you can still get the ball up the court quickly. But in an NCAA tournament game where you're going, you know, possessions are going to determine things and it gets slowed down, that's where I'm with you that the roster is is constructed in a way that doesn't necessarily fit with building it around Sheboy. But I do think because he's such a dominant rebounder, right, and he just lives under the rim, Mm -hmm. that if he's the one getting your rebounds... You can find a way to still be effective in transition by just starting those outlets quickly because you just sort of get four on three instead of playing five on four, and mm-hmm. you're not relying on him to be the guy you know cutting to the basket. Make that Jacob Toppin, make that Chris Livingston, whoever. That's fair. I'm just not sure that the group around him. I, I mean, I'm just I'm lower on Kentucky than everybody else in the country, and I'm completely fine with that, but. I don't like it when your best player is one-dimensional, and Oscar Shibway, as good as he is, is one-dimensional, and I don't think John Calipari is the best coach in the SEC anymore. Do you have somebody in particular you think is better? Musselman. Musselman. And I don't think Calipari has, I mean, since when was the last time the on-court product of Kentucky Mm -hmm. exceeded expectations? And I've already said in this podcast that the expectations (laughs) are hard to, but I I think there's, I mean... I can't remember the last time I was inspired by a yep. Calipari on coach on floor coaching job, and it, it's different than the conversation say surrounding Bill Self, right? Where even if Kansas, you know, Kansas has stretches where they haven't come all that close to winning a national championship, mm-hmm. but Kansas was winning the Big Twelve and looking really good every single season for a while, then, mm-hmm. right? You never, maybe you were slightly disappointed with what they were, but you never felt like. And I know recently they've had until you know last season a little bit of a hiccup there when Baylor really took over for a hot second. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the year before that, they were the best team in the country. Had to get to the tournament. Right. So, I think that is a difference and a fair thing that sometimes you just wonder how Kentucky isn't better. Very rarely do you wonder that about Kansas, even if they don't reach their full potential. To your point. That just came to mind. That's what I've got for you. And then we can talk about Tennessee, but then, okay. but you can... Yeah, can I, can I throw my... So, mine is, <laughs> do the narratives change on any of these top teams? Mm. You sort of hit this right off the beginning of the podcast... We've talked about the Auburn situation in the backcourt. Alabama, can they be less reliant on shooting slash actually make three-pointers? Because they couldn't shoot the basketball last season. And they still took a bunch of them because that's what they do. Either way, I don't like the formula because as we've discussed at nauseum on this podcast, you are not winning a national championship shooting a bazillion threes and hoping that 36% of them go in. Mm-hmm. you got to do more than that. That being said, eight guys you feel really good about. Mark Sears hasn't done it at this level. Don't know exactly what you're getting from Namari Burnett because he missed last season. So there are some question marks there. But you've got you know loaded recruiting class. Brandon Miller might end up being one of the best freshmen in the country. Again, talent is there on paper. It's been there before, and they've been generally underwhelming since NATO's kind of got this thing going. Mm-hmm. It's, it's where Arkansas is now, right? Can you take that next step? Now that people know you are a sustainable top 25 program. Mm -hmm. That's where Alabama has struggled. And then Arkansas, I'll go there next. Yeah, can you take the next step and be better during the regular season? Mm -hmm. You also talked about that at the beginning. That As much as we love talking about Arkansas and the NCAA tournament and how nobody wants to play them and get on the must bus, Mm -hmm. it's not like it's been a smooth ride in the regular season. Can that change? And then the other one I have... Yeah, can Tennessee score the basketball? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, again, last season, right, it was very clear to identify the shortcomings of some of the best teams in this conference. 
The one team I had a difficulty with was Kentucky, which is why I was higher on them than everybody else, mm-hmm. I feel like. But Tennessee was just tough to watch sometimes. Terrific defensively. They're going to be terrific again. Zakai Ziegler just is a pest in mm-hmm. the best way possible. But you needed Kennedy Chandler. Kennedy Chandler was your best offensive player. Mm-hmm. And Kennedy Chandler is no longer there. Now, do you have the potential that, say, five-star Julian Phillips sort of fills that void? Sure, that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. How often are freshmen the best scoring players on a team not named Duke or Kentucky? You know. But your backcourt's back. Your backcourt is really good. Mm-hmm. It's just fundamentally the way they play and the way this roster is constructed. I don't know if they can score enough points to actually get to an Elite Eight, a Final Four, and win, you know, not three or four NCAA tournament games, but four or five, and actually get themselves into the national conversation that way. So I am right there with you that this, to me, that is the story of this conference. A lot of these teams, even though the rosters have changed at least some, and in some cases dramatically, look an awful lot like last season. Does the exact same story play out again? Does anybody actually find a way to solve their problems? Do you think Kentucky's roster is better this year than it was last year? Oh, goodness. I'm going to... And I'll refresh your memory memory a little bit. Um, Along with Oscar Shibwe, it was Severe Wheeler, Ty Ty Washington, Keon Brooks, and Kellen Grady. Those were your starting five. Mm -hmm. And you had Davion Mintz. Um, Jacob Toppin was there. That was yep. kind of your that was kind of your rotation. I don't want to definitively say one way or another until I've seen this group play. I will say right now I am more than fifty percent confident this group will be better. Why? More recruiting talent. Are you sure? I mean, Ty Ty Washington was really good. It's two guys instead of one, though. Okay. Year two for Wheeler. But you also had two guys that were productive college basketball players that that are no longer. Are the, is is Chris Livingston more valuable than the combination of Keon Brooks and Kellen Grady? Sure, and that's a fair question, and that's where the tiebreaker for me is kind of Antonio Reeves and C.J. Frederick. Okay. Now you also had Kellen Grady, that is basically. I mean, that's going to be C.J. Frederick this season. Hopefully, if mm-hmm. he is actually able to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm not convinced. But if you made me choose. My answer at the end of the season, if that makes sense, if you made me pick now, I will say I'll take this year's team. Not by that much, though. I just I find it intriguing that last year's team was 17th in preseason at Kempom, and this year's team is first. That part is bizarre to me. And I have the AP Top 25 for this year right in front of me. Kentucky is fourth. I don't remember where they were last season. I can look real quick, but I. it seems to be a foregone conclusion that this Kentucky team is better than last year's. And Ty Ty Washington was more, people were more excited about Ty Ty Washington than they were about either of these freshmen. Mm-hmm. And by and large, Ty Ty Washington delivered. Lofty expectations, right, but... For the most part, there were times where I was like, yeah, that guy is the dude that we thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. These are these are my only... And it sounds like I don't think Kentucky's going to be good. I think Kentucky's going to be good. I just am not sure that... I'm not as sold on their... Or like, at any point... Like, at, at how often last year did you think, yep, Kentucky is on my shortlist of national title contenders? Was it at any point? It definitely was. Earlier, though. Earlier. So, early in the season, you had them right there with Gonzaga and Baylor. I would have had them in a tier below those two until Baylor got hurt. The point being is that I think this year they're just, like, presumed to be in that conversation. Yeah, and that's where I, I would put the brakes on that a little bit. I'm also just a Kentucky hater, and I concede that. I I think it's a fair question. I also think there are reasons to point to to say they're going to be even better this season. Whether they come to fruition or not, we'll have to see. They were fourth last year, too, in preseason. No, sorry, 10. Sorry, they were AP high four. 
10th last year in preseason. Lost in the first round with your best player being Oscar Schiebler. I'm just saying. I will say this, too, before we get out of Kentucky. I am more concerned about Kentucky in the NCAA tournament than I am in the regular season. Okay. All right. Do you have any more storylines? Um, no. Okay. I've got one more that you sort of touched on. I just made it tears in the cutoff point. Mm. Is there a title race? You already mentioned that. How many teams end up actually being great in this conference? Because I feel like we're at this point where, you know, whether it's it's Tennessee, LSU last season, Arkansas, Alabama, Kentucky, Auburn, Florida, right? We're all these teams that are elite at something or look really good sometimes. And then other times they just really confuse you because they're really bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's hard to, I think at least for you and I and the way we approach analyzing this sport for us to really buy into them mm-hmm. as we just laid out right what other conference can you sort of lay out so clearly all of the concerns we have about the best teams and you're talking about what two of the five or six consensus best pre- teams in the preseason in arkansas and kentucky mm-hmm. do these teams actually deliver or are we talking about some teams that sort of go in and out of the top 25 in and out of the top 15 and then you've got kentucky and maybe one other one in the top 10 all season mm-hmm. and then finally What happens in the bottom half of this conference in the sense of do they just get eaten up by the top half? Mm. Because you start running out of inspiring teams pretty quickly. There's the obvious group of however many, six, seven, eight, whatever you want to categorize it as, that either you know were really good last season or at least showed promise in the case of a Texas A&M mm-hmm. and have intriguing pieces in the case of LSU. And then there's you know new coaches with not much returning and Ole Miss who has two double digit scores back and three other pieces, a couple intriguing recruits, but were not good last season. Mm-hmm. And am I missing anybody? Right. So, you know, Vanderbilt, you lose Scotty Pippen Jr. That's not helping anything. Right. There's kind of the, just the clear bottom part of this conference. Do they just get eaten up because the top half, you know, you've got, it's kind of the, the situation in the big 12 where, Somebody's got to lose all these games because if you're Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. or this also, you know, what happened to Northwestern in the Big Ten that season, we were kind of joking about. Mm-hmm. You just look up and, you know, 60 to 70% of your conference games are against teams that feel like they should be a top 25 team in the country. Right. So that was the other thing I wanted to throw out quickly. Fair enough. How many teams can make the tournament? I have eight. I have 10. Wow. Look at you. Okay. Um, I'll just I'll just start reading mine, and no, you, you read yours, and I'll give you the two that I have that you don't. I have Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Florida, Kentucky, LSU, Tennessee, Texas A and M. I have Ole Miss, and I have the Mississippi teams. Mississippi teams, okay. Mississippi, I almost put Mississippi State in there. I think those ten teams can. I mean, Kermit Davis, I have faith in. I like Mississippi State's roster. Mm-hmm. I think LSU, if that, like like I said, that's a that's a tournament team roster in a different situation. Can we can we disconnect ourselves from the situation fast enough to to make the tournament this year? I wouldn't bet on it, but I I think there's at least a conversation to oh, be had. It's a top eight roster in the conference, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel good about eight of them. I think Ole Miss and Mississippi State, and like in both of those teams, kind of dancing around the, especially Ole Miss, dancing around the. Are we a good basketball team? What kind of state is the program in? Kind of. Kind of situations, but I think there. Are t- I don't think eight teams are gonna, ten teams are going to make it, of course, but I think we're probably in the seven range, but at least, um, seven and a half is probably the over under. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I think any one of those 10 teams could make up the top eight. Wow. I'm surprised you were so generous. Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes it's nice to have a change of pace. <laughs> we just, I drew a hard line and you opened the door. And usually it is the other way around. This is true. It's this all changed true. on the last one of these. How about that? How about that? All right. Anything else before we pick a winner? I believe we've at least briefly touched... Vanderbilt, good for Jerry Stackhouse. It's a decent recruiting class. Mm-hmm. 
Not that that means they're going to be good this season, <laughs> but you have momentum after Scottie Pippen Jr. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, I guess the other thing is I'll mention Gigi Jackson again. Very interested by that. See how that goes. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, you get these five-star recruits that kind of fade off into obscurity. You know, happened with Ben Simmons at LSU. But he's going to, I mean, he's going to be playing high-profile and this is a different SEC, I guess. That, that's what I'm getting at. When you compare it to what Ben Simmons was doing in LSU. Mm. You will go through the coaching roster. You go through the potential of these teams. You know, we're going to see Gigi Jackson playing all these five-star recruits. Mm-hmm. You know, at Tennessee, at Kentucky, at Arkansas. You can go down the list. All the talent even of Florida has, you know. So we're going to learn a lot about him, even though his team probably isn't going to be very good. I'm just always interested by those situations. Yeah. That's all. All right, who's your winner? Kentucky. <laughs> I, they're just so deep with all of these pieces that should be able to contribute. And it ultimately comes down to me for this. They have the best player in the conference. Does he play the position? I would like to no. know. I, I am with you about the concerns and the limitations you have when you have a traditional back-to-the-basket big who is not Joel Embiid defensively. Mm-hmm. They are the most reliable team in this conference to me from a delivering game-to-game standpoint. Okay. I say that because Arkansas and Alabama haven't really done it. And Tennessee one time did it. Mm-hmm. You know, Rick Barnes has, and I guess Rick Barnes has done it a couple times. But last season, Tennessee... The Tennessee without, you know, the pros, Mm -hmm. the Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams, and the, I should also make that even more specific, the multi-year pros, Mm -hmm. as in guys who had been around that program, as opposed to Kennedy Chandler in year one. That's a different conversation for me than this group who does not have as much pro potential and is not... I mean, yes, your backcourt is super experienced at this point. But you're still working on new pieces. You're you're not as arguably not as talented as last season. I and mm. they just can't score the basketball. I think that's most of the top teams and my concerns about them. And then the final thing is they're also when you look at these other teams, at least as experienced, if not more experienced. They're not the most experienced team in the country by any means, but you know, Alabama's going to be relying on Mark Sears. Mark Sears has never played high-major college basketball. Mm-hmm. And Namari Burnett hasn't played college basketball in a year. We just talked about the entire completely roster, complete roster overhaul at Arkansas. And maybe Tennessee's a little more experienced, but I just don't think their ceiling's that high. So I just have more concerns about everybody else. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Now, if you ask me which team goes farther in the NCAA tournament, that's a different conversation. But if you ask me for a team to deliver over a regular season, game in and game out, I'm going to take the team with Oscar Sheepley. Fair enough. Give me the volunteers. Really? Give me the volunteers. I did not see this coming. All of this this conversation that you've had about how they can't score, they're still 14-4 in conference last year. And there's no Auburn. hard to fathom to me. (laughs) And I don't think they're going to be... I think they're going to be a touch better offensively. There is certainly hope. <laughs> and I can't crap on Kentucky the way I have the entire podcast. And then go pick, pick them. And win the SEC. Yes, that, that is true. But this this is... The SEC this year is going to play out the way that the ACC does every time that Duke is an actual title contender and Virginia goes and wins 16 <laughs> conference games and wins the conference. Tennessee. They might share it. But I think Tennessee is going to make Kentucky win 15 conference games to win this conference. And every single year, at least of late, Kentucky has hiccups in the SEC. And like I said, I can't, I can't say what I've said about, ten, about Kentucky and then turn around and pick them to win. I the mean, SEC. there isn't a... I would not... If you would have just asked me five minutes ago what Tennessee's conference record, I would not have said 14-4 and four last season. You can make an argument Tennessee's been the most consistent team in this conference. I will, I mean, I, and I almost at one point made a Virginia comparison and said they're like Virginia in the sense that 
even though they can't score, they're still going to win an awful lot of basketball games. I just will not believe in them as a national title contender. That's until they, fine. We're right, not talking we're not national titles. Exactly. We're not talking national title contenders. I also See, and I also think that these three teams are separated by at most a game. The thirteen being Arkansas. Yes. I would be surprised if anybody wins the conference by more than a game, and I would be surprised if first and third are separated by any more than than I guess two. two. But if you if you ask me, I I think all three of those teams. I think they're all three going to beat up on the bottom of the conference, and I all I think all three are going to win fourteen conference games, and the team that wins fifteen is going to win the conference. I would generally agree with that. There's yeah, there's not a lot separating them, and it's fascinating because they're all three coming at this from such a different position. Yeah, right. It is Arkansas just talent. Give me all the talent, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's Kentucky kind of picking and choosing best player in the country, some five star recruits, some guys coming back that you may not be entirely inspired by. Couple pieces you don't know exactly what you're going to get in Antonio Reeves and C.J. Frederick, and then Tennessee. It's we're just going to play really good defense with our guards that run all over the place and annoy you for 40 minutes. Hopefully we score enough points, and we're going to make you beat us because we don't beat ourselves. It's it's fascinating. I I just have a hard, t- hard time with teams that don't score. That's fine. They were 33rd at Kim Palm offensively last and year. And that just blows my mind. 33rd. And maybe I'm Every just, time we talk about Virginia not being able to score, they are 87th. Right. No, that's absolutely true. And I guess my concern with that coming into this season, and maybe I'm just not giving Tennessee's last season enough respect. I will concede 35th, that is a possibility. 35th, excuse me. Point is the same. Kennedy Chandler did so much of that. And the, other two, the two players who are going to be responsible for that this season... We're on the roster last year. It's not like you have somebody coming in to be the point guard, right? Mm-hmm. Now, absolutely the counter to that is, well, Kennedy Chandler had the ball in his hands all the time. No right. wonder you didn't see all of that from right. Zakai Ziegler in particular. Right. So him and Vescovy are going to be better because they're going to have more responsibility. I just need to see that backcourt without Kennedy Chandler can actually get to 14-15 conference wins. That's fine. I will say they finished third at 13. 13 wins. It's disrespectful. <laughs> um, last thing, I'm gonna cut, I'm gonna catch you off guard here. Um, oh boy, is Oscar Shibuya gonna go back to back national player of the year? And you don't have to tell me who's gonna win because we're gonna do a podcast about this. But would you take Oscar Shibuya or the field? Field, oh field. Would you take Oscar Shibuya or one of the other four guys on the AP All American team? As in, I get those four guys? You get those four oh, guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're not that confident? No. So I guess my answer would be no. I, I am firmly no. And I'll yeah. tell you why when we actually do the podcast, but I am firmly no. I think it's one of those... And it's not because of voter fatigue. I think he'll have just as good numbers as he did the last yeah. year. I just... I don't think... To me, he is the favorite or have he has the plurality of my vote. Mm. <laughs> This is making any sense, but it's a polarity, not a majority. You know, he, I'll give him a thirty percent chance of winning. Timmy a twenty-five, and I might even change my mind about this when I actually start thinking about it. But when you add everything else together, it is way more than fifty percent of my confidence level. Okay, fair enough. What's your reasoning? Do you? I mean, do you want me to tell you now, or do you want me to save it? Well, I think you can say it now because it's not your. Is it directed? To, is it connected to your prediction? Yes. Oh, then maybe you should save it. I'll, I mean, it's, it's your the, call the, at the end the, of the day. The tease is there's the 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 guy that I wholeheartedly believe is the best player in college basketball doesn't isn't sharing the his front court with a <laughs> with the second overall pick in the NBA draft. That's correct. Um, I, I think. Yeah, I, I don't think we're ready for how for the numbers that Drew Timmy is going to put up this year. I also am not sure we're ready for. I mean, it's almost not fair to say, but not ready for Gonzaga. I'm, I mean, like at some like I I just find it hard to believe they're not going to win the national championship in this stretch. I find it hard to believe, <laughs> and I in I mean, true Timmy was unbelievably productive with Jack Holmgren 
yeah. next to him last year. So yeah. we can I, stop there. But going back to T- Sheboy for a second, my other reservation with him winning National Player of the Year again is, and it's not a big one because he did it last season, but you have some guys, particularly Timmy, and Marcus Sasser would be thrown into this conversation too. Maybe Trace Jackson Davis, although I don't see that happening. And who am I missing? Who's the other big? Baycott. And Baycott also falls into this category. Where there is every chance all three of those teams have better seasons than Kentucky going into the the tournament, right? You're talking about potentially your two top two teams if you pulled every I mean right you can justify saying North Carolina can dagger the top two teams in the country. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna have probably what ends up being the best team in the country, whether that's North Carolina, whether that's Gonzaga, whether that's Houston, or at least a top three team with a guy who is clearly the guy. And that maybe wasn't the case last season. I just I don't think you can point at Sheboy with what Kentucky is going to do and say he is clearly the guy. Even if he does end up winning, it's going to be close. So I, yeah, I do think there's going to be much stronger resumes surrounding him in terms of the other favorites than there were last season. That's as far as I'll go for now. Sure. Anything else? Yeah, we're getting nothing in particular. We're getting into full preview mode here. Man, what have we been doing for the last six weeks? Well, you got to start getting predictions, I mean. that's We've said a lot of words. I picked the wrong one. I'm sorry. (laughs) We have said a lot of words. We've been extrapolating, not predicting, Josh. Okay, all right, fair, fair. Okay. I said the wrong word again. Extrapolating, not previewing. That's what I meant to say. Okay. I'm just going to be quiet now. Okay. (laughs) All right, when are you getting your law degree with words like extrapolating? (laughs) Um, That's all we got for you. Um, We're going to talk to Jackson Collier uh, at JC Hoops on Twitter at the end of the week. That'll be our back end of the podcast, uh, back end of the week when it comes to the SEC preview. Um, Jackson is a uh, covers Arkansas for Rivals, I believe. Um, that I, 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 I knew this, and now I'm blanking, and now I'm worried about it. And give me just a second here. But Jackson Collier, he is... At, at Jackson Collier on Twitter, yes, Arkansas uh, for rivals. So we'll talk to him about Arkansas, the most intriguing team in the conference this year. Or exciting, sorry, exciting team in the conference this year. And all of the things that come with uh, that team this year. And we'll preview some of the SEC as well. But that's that's on, on the back end of this week. We're talking to him on Friday. So a little bit later possibly um, in terms of actually uploading that pod. But it will be there at the end of the week please subscribe to the jace for days podcast on apple podcast spotify and google podcast follow us on twitter at jace for days pod and uh subscribe to the youtube channel please leave a like nice comments thank you and uh and we'll be back at the end of this week thank you so much for listening to this edition of the jace for days podcast i'm josh he's josh and we will see you later